G'day and welcome to the Cultivate Farms podcast. Sam Marwood here and thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast. We're thinking of as many ways to get you onto your farm or help you to step back and we really hope you find all this information useful and inspiring. Let's get you farming. Well, thank you very much uh, to John and Tracy and the Tablelands Farming Systems for inviting me here and the other speakers today. I'm very excited about today's workshop. Uh, the focus is really on some practical ideas about how you can either step onto a farm and own a farm yourself, uh, especially for those people who don't happen to be lucky enough to be born into a farm, uh, how you can scale your farm if you have a farm now and you're looking to scale uh, and get a bit bigger or improve your profitability, but also if you're looking to step back, so maybe you don't have kids to hand the farm onto yourself, uh, but you're thinking about and hopefully thinking about handing the farm onto some, someone else's kids which we think is really exciting. Um, so that, that's the sort of focus from my point of view around, my focus is, is pr predominantly about people who aren't on farms uh, and how they get to own a farm, um, and also for people who have a farm and want to hand on to kids that aren't their own. Uh, it's a little bit different to the traditional succession discussions, which is usually about uh, handing it on to uh, people within your family, uh, and Kim and Diana and uh, Howard are going to talk about that, uh, that angle, but from my point of view, it's I'm trying to focus, and which is what we're trying to do a little bit differently with Cultivate Farms, is uh, giving hope to people who aren't that fortunate to be able to uh, walk onto a farm uh, in a couple of years' time uh, through inheritance. So the aim is around practical steps. I want to give you a lot of ideas. We also want to give you time to think and write. So in front of you, you should, should have had a, received a pack, uh, and on there, there's a, a card or two for you to scribble ideas. Uh, I would encourage you to get your phone out and get the notes uh, uh, app out and write notes as well. I won't be offended uh, if it looks like you're texting. Uh, I think the point of today is really to come with some practical steps that you can walk away uh, and start enacting. Because we think this isn't so much about, uh, from a young farmer's point of view, being a millionaire and um, you, you can own a farm. It's about practical, real world, uh, hard work ideas um, to realise your dream uh, and we hope that we get the same thing for anyone looking to step back from their farm. So how it's going to un unfold, uh, so I'll give some ideas uh, and the other presenters will give some practical experiences as well around different arrangements uh, for aspiring and uh, retiring farmers uh, and then again give you the time throughout the day to reflect and write down actions and uh, and if anyone's feeling bold enough, we'd love to hear um, some of those thoughts around what you might be doing uh, after today uh, to help realise your, your farming uh, goals. So I'll give you a bit of background about myself uh, and what we're doing with this organisation called Cultivate Farms, which uh, we established three years ago. So this is Tim and Tegan Hicks. Uh, they are the co-founders of, of Cultivate Farms and they've got their, their four kids. And, that's sort of the ideal picture of a farmer that most people who buy their lettuce at the supermarket or, or their beef think are, are the ones running their farms uh, across Australia. Young family, having a crack, uh, owning their farm. But in reality, for Tim and Tegan, they will never own their farm if things go the way they are at the moment. Uh, they don't have $5 million in their back pocket to go and buy a farm. Therefore, they don't have that hope that they'll ever be a farmer. Uh, and so they're off doing other jobs. So Tim's a landscape gardener. Um, and he's only recently he's just started to be a farm worker because, he, um, as we'll talk about today, he's realised the hope that he can own a farm, so he's putting the work to, to get those skills. And for us, this concept that people like this, and we've spoken to nearly a thousand aspiring farmers all over the country who have the same dream, they want to own a farm, but they can't uh, by sitting around or by having a job and saving and hoping to save enough to buy. So 
for us, that's really, that's really terrible. And we want to change that. We want to make it possible for anyone to own a farm and eliminate that biggest barrier to farm ownership, which is access to capital. And um, we've got uh, lots of ideas around how to do that. So this is a picture of me, and sorry for those at the back, the, the projection isn't the best. Uh, this is a picture of me at eight at the back there with my little brother on uh, our dairy farm in central Victoria. And I think it was about five minutes before my farming dreams were crushed forever. Uh, when I was walking back from the dairy with dad uh, sometime around that age, and I looked up to him and I said, so dad, when do I get the farm? And I think it was about eight, and he just looked down straight away, no hesitation, he laughed, and he said, you're not getting the farm. How else are mum and I gonna retire? All our money's locked up in the land. We're selling, of course we're selling. And I knew from age eight that I'd never be a farmer. So I went off and went to university and worked for the Victorian government for far too long. Um, or, and I would have been a farmer if I could have, but I knew at that age, unless I had the money or unless mum and dad were gonna uh, hand down the farm, the farm ownership was, was not gonna happen. And I, there was something also in me that I wanted to own the farm. I didn't wanna just work on a farm. I had to be a part of owning it. Uh, and we know this is true for so many people across Australia that uh, its ownership is just so key to farming for some reason. And we could spend the whole session trying to unpack why, why that is. Uh, it just seems to be the case that ownership is so key. And I guess that's what we want to offer to people is there are ways for you to own your farm and live your, live your dream in farming. So we say this to people now, and the conversations we have are really encouraging. We, we have lots of phone conversations and face-to-face -face meetings, and we say to people, you can own a farm. Uh, in your mid-20s, uh, you should be dreaming that you can own a farm and work towards owning it is absolutely possible. Uh, you may not own 100% of it, uh, and you may not own 100% of it straight away, <laughs> definitely not straight away, um, but you can own a small portion of it and increase your ownership over time. There's plenty of ways to do it, and we'll unpack some of those ideas today. So how does it work? Um, we did think about calling Cultivate Farms eFarmony, um, but it was a bit too corny, so we just stuck with Cultivate Farms. It is a, it is a matchmaking um, uh, service, I guess, and what we all often say is that you actually don't need us uh, if you want to get on and get farming. This is just about building relationships, and that's what we're trying to do across Australia, is trying to find the right people to connect them to own a farm together. So our aim is to connect an aspiring farming family with a retiring family and investors to own and op operate a farm together. And we feel so much that this first is about relationships. This is about finding people, so retiring farmers who are thinking, I do want to hand a step back, uh, looking for an amazing farming family to, to farm with, uh, and connecting them with like-minded people and making sure that they get along and that the values align and that they can have a discussion. And I think once you've got those people in the room together who, who line up and have the same uh, values and vision, uh, the solutions can easily uh, unfold and you can get the experts in to help you uh, uh, work that through. And sometimes you need investors. Uh, a, uh, a lot of this is about freeing up cash, like my parents, they needed the cash. If there was some way that they could have freed that up and still retain some ownership, they would have done it. Um, but they had no way of finding the extra cash. I wouldn't have had the money to be able to buy them out so they can buy a house in town. So this idea of investors, we know is a little bit, can be a little bit irky, but I want to unpack what an investor is today as well and show you that an investor could be your next door neighbour. So why are we doing it? It is because we, at heart, want to rejuvenate regional communities. We all grew up uh, in country towns and on farms and uh, I, I've seen our rural community decline and my dad now works as a farmhand on a farm which he loves because he gets a, a set pay packet every fortnight, which is much better than uh, an uncertainty of his farming. Um, and I ask him, where are the new people coming from? And he says, 
they're all just uh, kids from the families. There's no new blood coming in. The farms are getting bigger. Uh, the footy team imports their players. And to me, I think that's just so sad. And it doesn't have to be that way. And that's the driver behind what we're doing. We're saying, if we can make it possible for someone in their, in their teens to go, I'm going to own a farm. And for the next 10, 20 years, they spend their whole life dedicated to getting good enough to own a farm. And people have that hope of farm ownership. We can get thousands of young people back. We get people who would have been a lawyer saying, no, no, I don't want to be a lawyer, I want to be a farmer. I'm going to make it happen and give that hope to these young people. We get thousands of young people back on farms across Australia. And with farms are just so central to a thriving regional community. So I guess that's the driver behind why we're doing this. We really do believe that uh, the next generation are, are key and this farm ownership is just key to the ability for us to support our regional communities. So the benefits for these three parties, um, for the aspiring farmer, we're saying that uh, right now you, you probably don't have the hope that you can be a farmer. Um, you might be working on a farm, uh, which is great, and you're building up your skills, and you're just there hoping one day somehow a farm will fall into your lap. Uh, but we're saying you can now take your farming future into your hands. You, if you know what you need to do to own a farm, how to hustle, how to work hard, how to make connections, build relationships, uh, you will. Uh, be able to realise your dreams uh, and to, to us I think that's really encouraging that's the conversation we have all, with all these aspiring farmers is don't, don't give up on that dream people might laugh at you that you want to be a farmer uh, or people say it's impossible uh, but there are ways of doing it we're saying to people uh, you should, if you want it you can make it happen but it's not just going to happen overnight uh, to retiring farmers we're saying um, if you are looking to step back but you don't want to lose that connection with your farm um, and love the idea of staying connected with it uh, there are thousands of people across Australia who give their left arm to farm with you. Uh, and the question for retiring farmers is, are you willing to share your farm? Are you willing to bring someone on who isn't your family? Uh, you've got to um, have that confidence that this business can operate uh, with you stepping back so you can go do what you want, but also you still have your income coming in and knowing that you've got the, the farm is still being managed the way you want it to be managed uh, and aligning with the values and effort you're putting over the last few years to, to get the farm to where it is. And then to investors, we're saying, we know there are investors across the country who have money. Their biggest issue is they have no time uh, to go and figure out where the best spots are to invest into farms. So there are people who want to invest into farms, they don't know where the options are, and we're saying to them, we're going to have hundreds of aspiring farmers across the country out there actively finding farms. Um, we'll talk about this a bit more in detail as well. Uh, and they'll be presenting investment opportunities, either with retiring farmers or just farms off, off uh, real estate websites, pulling proposals together and putting it in front of these investors for free so they can sit there and scroll through and figure out which farms they would like to invest in across Australia. Um, so we're saying, you've got money, you don't have time, we'll present with you lots of investment opportunities that tick the boxes of supporting next generation farmers and, and retiring farmers. And these investors are excited by this opportunity, which we're, we're still building and we're um, demonstrating at the moment, but uh, we think that's a really exciting discussion as well. So in uh, summary of the things we do, uh, around hope, farm ready and matchmaking, these are sort of how we structure our day and all the work we do. So one is giving hope, and this is to aspiring farmers and retiring farmers, um, that you can own a farm or that you can find a great relationship to be able to step back uh, with confidence with your farm. The second is, is farm ready. So aspiring farmers were saying, you, if you're not good enough, you won't be able to get on the farm you want. You've got to be able to have the skills and knowledge uh, and be able to demonstrate that so you can uh, have the opportunity to get on a farm, a multi-million dollar business. You've got to be good enough to be able to run it. 
and then the third is matchmaking. So figuring out, wrangling whatever arrangement we can to try and make it possible for, for you to get on your farm. And we'll talk about that again in more detail today of all the different ways that that can, can unfold. So when I unpack, what do we mean by investors? And I understand when I first started thinking about investors and investors coming into a family farm, um, I understand that would feel really, um, I feel terrible uh, in some, some cases. But I, I want to start getting the discussion that maybe it could be a great thing. It could be a great thing for you to be able to scale your business. Uh, and again, this is about making sure you're working with people who have values alignment. So this isn't about someone coming in and if you're thinking of stepping back from your farm, you need some cash freed up. Uh, and getting an investor in. It's not about getting someone from Sydney who doesn't care about you or your farm and getting them to invest. It's about people, getting people who align with your values, can see your vision, love you, love what you're doing, and want to support you. And we're trying to say that there are just, we've got 11, there's probably heaps more options out there for you to find those investors who can help you step back, scale up, get onto your farm. So of course there are wealthy individuals, and we're talking to a number of them already, uh, who are keen to invest into farms, uh, either just because to diversify, or there's a lot of them who are out there because they want to invest in agriculture because they love the idea of having an impact on regional communities and supporting good landscape uh, management. Then there's semi-wealthy individuals. We're getting emails regularly from people saying, hey, I've got $100,000 in my bank account. Uh, I'd love to be able to support next generation farmers. Um, have you got an opportunity? So there's people who have a little bit, don't have enough to buy a whole farm, but love the idea of investing and supporting a farm, which we think is really exciting. We want to keep unlocking those people. Then there's, the, there's farmers uh, themselves. So there's wealthy farmers out there, and I always say to aspiring farmers, if you're working for a farmer uh, and they've got a, a great operation, why aren't you hustling to show that you could help them expand their operation? And you could go and uh, buy the farm next door with them uh, and still stay part of the whole amalgamation, but you can work with those people who have the funds, who have the capital to be able to back you onto a farm next door or nearby. So looking at investors as the, um, the farmers themselves. Retiring farmers, so when we we're setting up another arrangements right now where the retiring farmer is going to be selling uh, or, or releasing half, uh, three quarters of the farm uh, ownership to investors or the aspiring farmers themselves. So that straight away means you only have to raise 75% or 50% of the capital to, to get onto the farm, which, which makes a big difference. And you can still retain your ownership as a retiring farmer. Then there's retired farmers. There must be hundreds of retired farmers across Australia sitting in, in towns with money in the bank um, looking for ways to invest it. And we're saying, what better place to invest than your own community, to invest in the foot forward and the goalkeeper that you know and you meet once a week and you, you know how great they are. Uh, why aren't we looking uh, into our communities, into our local farms to invest into them and make them stronger? You know the landscape. Uh, let's invest into it. Other locals as well. Um, I'm sure there's people uh, in Goulburn who again, just know the value of our farming communities uh, and again, have money in the bank who are always looking for investment opportunities. Why aren't we on the front foot highlighting to them, hey, there's really great ways you can invest your money, make a good return and support your community. We, we say to aspiring farmers as well, friends and family, uh, everyone probably has a rich uncle uh, or a rich auntie. Uh, you should be thinking about how are you going to present an opportunity to them uh, and you should uh, Aidan and I were talking about this before, we want aspiring farmers to treat farm ownership like you are an entrepreneur. You think about someone who's building an app or in Silicon Valley, they are constantly hustling to get people to invest into their business uh, and back them. And we want the same thing with young farmers, is you should, you should know the farm that you want to get onto. You should have farm proposals ready, so every dinner party, uh, you are there asking people if they want to invest into your farming opportunity. Um, and be confident. For some reason with farming and young people and, and wanting to own a farm, 
no one talks about it in, in the everyday. People uh, seem, I don't know, seem ashamed of it or uh, shy of it or because they know it's such a big goal, um, they're a bit hesitant telling people. And we're saying, you should be telling everybody. You never know who has money ready to invest and would love to back you. And you should be telling as many people as possible. So friends and family, definitely people who could help invest into what you're doing. Self-managed super. Uh, that, uh, I haven't even uh, really un unpacked that with our business yet. I'm just trying to explore how we untap that more. But there is so much super available for people uh, to who again who want to support the local community can tap in and use that to invest into farming. Equity crowdfunding. So you've probably all heard of, of the rewards-based crowdfunding. So you help a musician buy a, make their re, uh, record, and so you get a CD for it. But now there's equity crowdfunding that's available. So you for two and a half thousand dollars can own part of a farm, and this opens up every Australian uh, to be a potential investor in farming. And we're working with people like Domacom. Uh, who are about fractionalising property, which is a uh, technical term, but really it is, is just about getting people together who want to invest into farms uh, to invest uh, and knowing it's a secure way of doing it. So we are really excited by this concept of equity crowdfunding. We're actually hoping to have our first crowdfunded farm uh, April, is it March, April uh, this year. The bank. Of course banks are the best way of getting capital and, and investors into your farm. The issue, though, is how do you get that, uh, the savings you need to be able to access that, that debt, and that's the, the big uh, barrier. Uh, but these investors can help you meet that gap, but banks are absolutely a fantastic way of getting investment. And then yourself, uh, this is from, especially from a aspiring farmer point of view, you should have savings, you should be building equity, you should have livestock, um, you should have uh, um, the money in the bank so that you can back yourself and put your own skin in the game when you're going to look at these farms as well to show that you are really dedicated. So yeah, I think investors, again, can seem a bit overwhelming, the idea a bit full on, but for, for us, we just think it can open so many opportunities and for an aspiring farmer, I don't think you can, if you don't own a farm or don't have the ability to get onto it through inheritance, I think you have to be thinking about investors to, to get you onto your farm. And what are the different ownership arrangements? So we, I'll quickly touch on this, but again, our focus is primarily on getting the people in the room in the first place. And then we encourage you to sit with experts, the lawyers, accountants, bankers, etc., to figure out the best ownership arrangement for you. But I just want to highlight that once you're in the room, there are just so many different ways you can set up your ownership arrangements uh, that can benefit both parties. And that should be the outcome. It should be a win-win, um, and everyone lays on the table what it is they want. Uh, and then they can work through it. So things like lease to buy, uh, straight buying, uh, buying out, setting up businesses that you can own equity in. So you can set up two entities, one that owns the land, one that owns the business, so the, uh, the, the cattle, the machinery, uh, and it could be the aspiring farmer buys into the business side of things, so it has no ownership of the land. But over time, as they make profits, uh, they can slowly start buying out the, the landholder uh, and over time start to, to own more and more of the business, which we think is a really exciting uh, arrangement. Vendor finance, I think that's been, uh, it used to, apparently to be pretty common, uh, early 1900s, uh, vendor finance a common thing and nowadays it's not done as much but I can't see any reason why it's not. I think if you want to stay on your farm uh, and want to back uh, a, young, uh, a young person or someone you think is really great, vendor finance is a fantastic opportunity and there are still experts out there who know and do this all the time uh, that you can be talking to the, to discuss that. Uh, standard shop share farming, uh, you can do profit share, we actually don't have a formal uh, entity that you're in a part of together, but you're just sharing the profits 
Uh, or the other one is you can get adopted into someone else's family. Um, is another good way uh, of owning. Thank you, everybody. It looked like we had some great discussions happening during the tea break, which is brilliant. Um, so now, th this session uh, is about giving you some ideas uh, and then also some uh, practical uh, solutions as well uh, from a couple of our experts, which is brilliant. So, uh, the focus of this next uh, section is going to be structured around these concepts of how do you get hope, uh, how do you get farm ready, and how do you get matched onto your farm or off, to your, off your farm. Uh, and from the angle of an aspiring farmer, uh, a farmer who wants to scale and a farmer wanting to step back. I also, after lunch, actually have a few points around uh, the role of community leaders, uh, community groups in attracting next generation farmers to your community, uh, and also advisors, so accountants, bankers, lawyers, I think they have so much power in how they can influence decisions that happen uh, that we're talking about today as well. So, uh, this section is going to focus on aspiring farmers, and I think it's great for everyone just to see different angles. Uh, if you're not an aspiring farmer, I think there'll be some interesting stuff you get out of this. And the next section as well, when we talk about farmers looking to step back, I think it's interesting from an aspiring farmer point of view to, to look at what you might be thinking about as well. So, for an aspiring farmer, uh, we want to say that these are the practical things that you should be doing and thinking about uh, to make your farming uh, dreams a reality. And the first is around, around hope. And, you need, to be, you need to be documenting your plan. What is it that you actually want? Have you sat down and, and spoken with your husband or wife or partner and realised, yeah, I want, I want a 10,000 acre uh, cropping enterprise. That is my dream. Because uh, I think without having that vision written down, how do you know what you're fighting for or what you're going to achieve? So we really encourage this basic life planning, I guess, in a way. It's have you written down what it is you even want? Uh, and a lot of people uh, say to me, oh, I want 100 acres uh, and then I'll try and buy another 100 acres and eventually I'll get to 10,000. And we're saying, no, that's, that's you thinking with your limited uh, uh, perspective because that's probably what you can afford at the moment. We're saying, what is you really want out of life and what you want to get? Uh, and make sure you've got that and that's what you're fighting for. That's, that, that's the plan that's going to get you up in the morning. As Adam's saying, it's, it's tough life being a farm manager, farm worker, thinking that one day you'll own a farm and you've got to be able to think about these both things, both of these things around working and then hopefully one day owning. It's hard slog to get there, but unless you've got that vision, it's going to be hard to get up every morning to, to go for it. So the second one is, are you hungry? Uh, and this is, again, like any business, do you really want this? Uh, and if you do, you're going to spend time and energy uh, trying to make it happen. Uh, and I think there's a lot of, again, we're speaking to a lot of aspiring farmers, some of them just say, oh, have you got a farm for me? And I just think that is completely the wrong attitude. This, is a, this should be, hey, I've been hustling every single day from between 5 p.m. and midnight every day. I've been working to tr build relationships, find connections, save money, have a start of a second business, trying to hustle uh, to get onto my farming dream. So I, we think you've just got to have this drive and you've got to be confident in it to be able to make your, your dreams a reality. Because we're saying it is absolutely possible, but do you really want it? Are you going to work hard enough to make it happen? The third is, is talking it out. Uh, again, I talked earlier about um, uh, we find that so many aspiring farmers struggle even to tell their families that they want to be a farmer. Uh, and we're saying the opposite. It should be completely opposite. You should be telling everybody uh, at dinner parties, at the pub, uh, or wherever you're playing sport, or whatever you're doing, that you're going to own a farm one day, and that's your vision. Uh, and because a vision inspires people, and the more you tell people, the more opportunity is going to come to you in the future as well, because they know what you're fighting for. So I really encourage you to read and talk it out. And the fourth um, is meet regularly with like-minded people. Uh, it might seem a uh, pretty straightforward sort of thing, but I, I find so often that um, when you're starting a business or anything, you, you sort of 
you, you, you might not have the people around you who can really encourage you to, to make it happen. There are so many people, if you tell you want to be a farmer, they'll laugh at you or say, why would you do that? That's going to be terrible. You know how hard it is? You need to take note of what they're saying, but push them to the side and make sure you've got people around you who go, good on you, that is awesome. Uh, I'm here to help you. Just so, again, you can keep working to make this dream a reality because it's going to be hard. So now you've got your hope as a, a aspiring or a scaling up farmer. Um, the next is around, do you have the skills? So we're not about putting someone on a farm or matching someone onto a, with a retiring farmer who has no idea how to farm. That is not what we're about. We're about finding the absolute cream of the crop across Australia who have the skills, who have the desire, have the dream, have the passion to run and own a farm and connecting with them with the retiring farmers or, or investors. So we want to enforce uh, that you need to be good enough to be a farmer. And again, without that hope, we find that a lot of people wouldn't even worry about this next step around getting farm ready. Why would you go learn something, uh, to, a skill or uh, a, a concept if you aren't able ever to apply it? So we're saying it is possible to be a farmer. Uh, make sure you've got your dream sorted. Now you've got your dream, you know you want it. Are you good enough? And what are you doing to, to get your skills up? So we're saying do a skills audit. What do you need to know uh, to, to be a farmer? We have a farm pitching template actually online. Uh, which I'll talk about in the next section, which outlines everything you need to know and present to an investor to show that you are good enough and that this farm investment opportunity that you've found is good enough. And you could use that as an example of the information and the knowledge you need to have to be good enough uh, to take an opportunity to an investor uh, or convince a retiring farmer. So do a skills audit and, and then work to, to build your skills. Go, there's a thing called Google uh, and you can find so much information there uh, to teach you a lot of things around financial management, um, uh, around OH&S requirements of farming. Everything is online for you to go and grab. But again, unless you have the hope or the desire to do it, you're not going to chase it up, but you should be chasing it up. Working on farms is just so critical as well. You've got to have that practical experience. So have you been working on a farm? If you're on a family farm, you're no doubt working already, so I encourage you to do that. There are websites like AgDraft, uh, which is all about matching you uh, with employment opportunities with great farmers as well. So make sure you're out there hustling, trying to get those farm skills. Leasing is a really great option, but we know that it's the same sort of issue as owning a farm. It's probably just as hard to try and find some leased land as it is to, to buy a farm, uh, to find a farm to buy. But we encourage you, are you out there? Have you got 100, do you have that 100 acres leasing? That you're at least having a crack. You've got a couple of cattle on there and, and trying to build your equity and showing you're having a crack. Because I think this is so much about you demonstrating to people you're trying to convince that you have, you're, 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 in, you're in it, you're, you want this to happen. It's not just a dream that you'd like someone to magically help you do it. You're saying you're on the way, you just need uh, some support to really realise that bigger term um, uh, dream. And then the last year with Farm Ready, and I've got another point as well, is about saving and investing. So I think uh, if you're going to somebody, a retiring farmer, and saying, I would love to work with you and own your farm with you, uh, but I have zero dollars to contribute myself, uh, I don't think that farmer would, would consider you at all. So if you can't save even $20,000, dollars $40,000 um, to uh, put towards farm ownership over a five, 10 year period, um, I think you, that people will be questioning uh, if you're good enough at business. So I think you should be looking at saving, investing, demonstrating you are good with your finances and be able to show that you are willing to put your own skin in the game uh, if these ownerships happen. And this one we are very, very excited about, um, social media. You, as an aspiring farmer, have one of the most powerful technologies uh, ever invented in your phone right now, and you'd probably be rather on that phone right now than listening to me. Everyone is on phones, everyone's on Facebook, on Twitter, 
on Musical.ly, uh, on Snapchat, uh, and that's where people are, that is where attention is at. And we're telling aspiring farmers, you should be documenting your journey online. You should be creating a Facebook page, uh, an Instagram page saying, uh, Mary, aspiring farmer, and you should be talking about your journey of becoming and owning a farm. Uh, you, only, you only need a couple of hundred followers, uh, and those people are the ones that are going to be following you and out there looking for opportunities for you. Uh, again, that's because where attention is. You, everyone knows that when you go to a, a dinner party you, or anywhere out in the park, you see people are on their phone uh, and it's free. And so we're really encouraging next generation farmers, you should be using social media to get your story out that you want to be a farmer and you are after farm opportunities. I, I think business in general hasn't really grasped the power of social media. And I think the farming sector, especially aspiring farmers, you are tech savvy if you aren't on social media creating content and getting your name out there. You really need to start thinking about it uh, because audience does equal opportunities. Uh, and again, if you're not telling people, you can do that physically one-on-one, -on -one, uh, but the best way to broadcast it is do it online and more people are going to find out about it, spread the word, and opportunities like a retiring farmer coming to you or an investor or someone, a retired farmer who has that, the, the cash we were talking about before, might come to you and say, hey, I've seen you really hustling to get on your farm. I love your attitude. Uh, is there some way I can help? How can we work together? So now you've got hope, you've got all the skills, you're ready now to get matched onto a farm. And here we're saying we can help out, and that's definitely our role, but we're saying also you don't need us. Uh, there are other ways that you can work to go and find your perfect farm match. Uh, and the first thing we think before you get out there is, again, really, and Aidan talked about this as well, you should be treating this like you're an entrepreneur, a farm entrepreneur. Uh, you'll have your plan, you've got your investment proposal, You've got your one-minute elevator pitch or 10-second elevator pitch sorted. Uh, you know the landscape really well. Uh, you know what opportunities you're after, and you are out there hustling and working from 5 p.m. to midnight every night. Just flip that mentality to, uh, I am going to own a farm. It's just a matter of time, and I'm going to work my butt off until I can make it happen. So that's the mentality we want aspiring farmers to have. Um, it's not going to fall into your lap, and you've got to work hard for it. So at that same time that you are busting and have the big vision to be an a farm entrepreneur and own a farm, you should be realistic as well. This will take most likely years for you to get your perfect match. Uh, while you're building your skills, while you're building relationships, uh, you could have one conversation, we we're talking before uh, Andrew about this, that you could have one conversation with someone and two years later something else comes out of it. So it's all about just being realistic, knowing it's going to take years and be persistent, keep at it. Um, and so here I think these are the... Um, Oh, sorry, I'll just keep going to number three. Um, and then there's about hustle. So it's all tied in with that. Like it is about um, being creative and, and thinking hard and thinking outside the box of different ways that you can make your farm opportunity happen. Um, there might be people you know, and you're thinking about it now, who, who might be you know, looking to step back and you're making, you should be thinking about, oh, how do I make it that I can get in front of them at the tennis club uh, next Tuesday to have that conversation? Just constantly thinking about ways of, of making these arrangements happen. Uh, it may look natural, but <laughs> massive amounts of planning have gone in the background to make it happen. Um, number four here, you should know the landscape. People said to me, oh, I can't believe it, Sam. Someone sold their farm just down the road and it's perfect. I, can't, I didn't know it was happening. Uh, um, I didn't say it to them to their face, but I said, in my mind, I'm thinking, that's pathetic. You should know the landscape better than real estate agents, accountants, lawyers. You should be on top of every single farmer in your district and know that these farmers are looking to step back next year. These are never going to, it's a family farm, they're never going to 
So these ones are probably 10 years away. You should understand the landscape um, better than anyone else. You've got social media, so you can. Um, you should be talking to people, but you should know so that you can use that to plan on who you're going to put yourself in front of uh, and identify pathways to get the solution you want. Like, just be creative, but you've got to have that knowledge, and that takes time and effort. What I, again, what are you doing between 5 p.m. and midnight every day to build this knowledge so that when these opportunities pop up, you're ready? You sh every fortnight, you should have a coffee meeting with the accountants and lawyers and bankers in your area, and you should be hassling them as much as possible to get their knowledge, information, insight, and background information around what's happening in the community. They know it. They live it. They're talking to uh, everyone out there that could potentially help you, and you should be tapping into their knowledge. They're, they're sitting there. Uh, they would love it. Imagine uh, uh, an aspiring farm with so much energy, constantly hassling them for more information to try and find that dream. People are going to give you a farm just because you're so annoying. Uh, I think you should be out there just hustling. And then number six, if you've built your social media audience, you've got those 200 people who follow you on Instagram, you can constantly be saying to them, hey guys, I'm after a farm, 10,000 acres just north of Griffith, um, uh, uh, 50,000 acres north of Goulburn. Uh, anyone got any ideas? Uh, and, and get them working for you. Uh, they're the ones out there. Again, they've got more connections than you do, and you can use that to, again, find those opportunities. Media. Uh, you can be as bold as writing an article uh, for the local paper saying how hard it is for next generation farmers to get in, but there are awesome people like yourself who are ready to go right now. Contact me. Uh, why not? The media, <laughs> newspapers would love it. Uh, Channel Prime would love it. Uh, I think you just need to keep thinking about what are the angles you can present uh, to get people's attention so that you can get matched onto these farms of your dreams. But the best one that we are very excited about, and this is what we are promoting primarily with our business at Cultivate Farms, is about pitching for your dream farm. So no longer do we take an aspiring farmer's um, sooking or complaining that they can't get on a farm, we are saying to them, you can now take your farm ownership future into your hands and we want you to pull together a proposal. We have a template online, it's free for anyone to download and we will take your proposal with you to find investors to get you onto your farm. Uh, I talked to investors over the last few years and I've had aspiring farmers send me realestate.com.au printouts, two pages of farms and I say, how about this farm? Uh, Mr. Investor, and they say, what? How, what? So I've got to do all the work here to figure out whether this farm's going to make money. Is this farm really good? I don't know. What, stop wasting my time. Whereas now, I, I, and we did the other day, we took 14 farm pitches from all over Australia to this one investor, and we sat down for six hours and went through every one of those, and he goes, all right, which farm do you want? Let's match them. And right now we're matching an uh, aspiring free-range pig farm. Uh, farmers with this investor uh, because they had an amazing pitch. They outlined why they're the best, why this farmer tree is awesome, how they're going to make money, how they're going to manage risk. Um, everything you need as an investor to be confident that this is a great investment opportunity. And so this is necessary also about going and finding a high net worth individual in Sydney. This is about having that in your back pocket at the Christmas party to hand it out to your friends and family, uh, to uh, take it, set up a town hall meeting uh, which I've heard of happening in northwest Tasmania where uh, a farmer backed a young farmer and he had a town hall meeting and he had eight people invest sign up that night, uh, $200,000 each to buy a dairy farm. It, the, the, lap, the thing that is missing are pieces of paper with words on it describing why you're the best and why this opportunity is awesome. Uh, if you don't have that, you'll be like that investor where I took the one page printout. It's like, what am I going to do with this? You, if, if 
they can just think the aspiring farmers just have so much opportunity here to demonstrate how clever they are, take their future into their hand, pull the proposal together, uh, and who knows who's going to back you. It may take five present pitches before you finally get your, your farm uh, opportunity, but what other options have you got? Uh, we're saying get out there, show your dedicated, show your clever, pull proposal together and who knows uh, what can happen. We're even turning this into an online marketplace. Uh, so we've got a grant with Meat and Livestock Australia. Um, so we're, you'll be able to jump on there, plug in your information around your pitch and then we're going to make it so that we'll have a whole stack of investors on the other end who will, if it meets their criteria, we'll get in front of them and they'll be able to decide whether they want to invest with you, back you or not. Which we just think is so, so powerful, so exciting. So hopefully you're all scribbling furiously then for aspiring farmers and scaling farmers. Uh, and next I want to unpack from a retiring farmer uh, point of view. Um, and the same sort of thing around hope, farm ready and matchmaking. Um, so I was talking to a farmer yesterday who's got 4,500 acres uh, and he just sent me an email and said, I heard you on ABC and saw you on the land and thought I'd give you a, a call to, to see what's happening and, and I just said to him, this is, this is not about us, this is just about you, what do you want? And he goes, oh that's a good point. And so I sent him a template and he's just now with his wife sitting down and writing what do they want for their farm. They, they've got three kids who don't want the farm but they want to somehow maintain some ownership. They can't work the farm as much as they would, they love the idea of sharing it with somebody else but they've got to be good enough. And I said, great, just write it all down. Um, this is not about us influencing what you want. It's just about us working backwards from you describing what it is. So we encourage retiring farmers, take control of your journey and, and doc, document your plan. Dream big. What is it? Do you want your farm to grow twice as big as it is now and be twice as profitable, but you do a quarter of the work because uh, you're getting someone else to work with you on it? Um, whatever it is, we just encourage retiring farmers to, to take that control and and uh, and... and we can help and all your advisors can help to, to make that happen. Um, we just think that's just so, such a critical step. And then as, as uh, Howard was talking about um, getting farm ready, we just think uh, farmers looking to step back offer so much knowledge um, that we want to encourage you to get out and share that knowledge with the next generation. And probably a lot of it is uh, these farmers don't realise people would want to work with them or, or talk with them or learn from them. But I'm telling you now there are thousands of of aspiring farmers who would love to be mentored uh, by you if you have time or if that's something of interest. Uh, and you can help support and guide the next generation of farmers and help them figure out who the next farmers they should go talk to uh, uh, to get onto the farm. So we think mentoring is just a great thing for retiring farmers to, to do. And we're happy to connect you as well uh, if that is something of interest. Uh, leasing, it is so easy to call, to drive over to the next door neighbors and say, hey, um, I want you to lease the, the, my property. That's the easiest thing in the world, absolutely, and it's a great thing to do, but we want to encourage retiring farmers to think about, well, why not use your land as a great way to support the next generation on your property, give them a, a leg up. This isn't about giving charity, you still get the same returns as you would if you were uh, leasing to anyone else, but why not just take the time to think about, well, maybe there is a couple of blokes or uh, uh, ladies out there that I could lease this to and, and give them a, a helping hand, because. Again, I just know that all these aspiring farmers out there tell me day after day, I would be leasing land tomorrow, I just can't find it. Um, but imagine we flip that on its head and we had farmers wanting to hit up aspiring farmers to get them to lease their land. I think that, again, is just a, blows my mind how good that, that concept is uh, and how exciting that would be for the next generation of farmers if, if that was the mentality we had from, from farmers looking to step back. 
And then matchmaking. So you, you've decided that you've got your big plan for your for your farm and your future. Um, you've been thinking about uh, the farmers that you would like to be on your farm, and maybe you found a few, and you've been leasing to this uh, young couple, and they're pretty good. Uh, now you're thinking, well, how can I do the matchmaking myself? Um, so we're saying, yeah, if you've managed to find someone who's brilliant, you love them, and you've known them for years, fantastic. But also, you should be out there headhunting yourself. You should be at the nightclubs. Um, trying to find the best next generation people. You should be at the footy club. Uh, um, you should be on the footy and netball selection panel um, purely so you can select the, the fittest and the most active farmers that you could be working with. Like, why can't you? Why can't you be sitting there strategically thinking about the top 12 people in your district that you would actually trust and want to work with and give them a little bit of encouragement? Say, uh, you know, are you looking to get on a farm one day? What's your, what are your... What are your plans and give them a little bit of incentive that there might be some options. I think that, again, imagine, I think as an eight-year-old or a ten-year-old, knowing that those sort of arrangements have happened in the past where retiring farmers are are headhunting, actively headhunting. I would have changed my whole attitude. I would have made sure that I was was onto it. I had all the skills. I was working hard. I was putting my face out there. Uh, So people, when they're thinking about headhunting, will go and come straight to me. And that's, again, the attitude that I want these aspiring farmers to have. But I love it if the retiring farmers had that sort of attitude as well. Uh, I really encourage retiring farmers to talk it out again, the same sort of thing that we find people are really nervous about talking about retirement or stepping back and I just don't get why that is the case. It should be, should be again, like a, treating like a business. Everyone knows you've got to step back from your business at some stage. We should be talking about saying, hey, in five years' time, I'm probably going to be leaving here. I don't want to leave completely. I'm looking for an awesome person to come in and run the farm. It's going to be a massive opportunity. I want the absolute best person. Um, so yeah, let us know if you, if you know anyone. I think that sort of conversation is, is brilliant. You can even be as, as uh, confident in these number, number uh, three and four here around going to the media. So doing what this aspiring farmer's done, go to the media and say, I have the best farm in the district available right now uh, for the best people. Uh, I want you to send an email, I want a 5,000 word essay, uh, why you're the best or whatever your arrangements are, but um, use the media to get the word out and you can start headhunting the people, not only in your district, but all over Australia. You could be creating your own social media account I think nearly everyone probably is on Facebook here. Uh, nearly everyone in Australia is on, on Facebook. You could be creating your own page called... <laughs> how you will be on soon. Uh, you create your own page called uh, Awesome Farm uh, that's going to be available to an awesome next generation farmer and start talking about your farm, the opportunities, and use that to get people's attention and, and, and to start getting those amazing applicants coming through. You can hold your own farm shark tank. So I don't know... If, Anyone's seen that farm shark, the, the Shark Tank show where entrepreneurs come on and pitch and they get ripped apart? Um, you could be doing that same sort of thing. We could be pulling together a call all over all over Australia and at your farm dinner table, we get 10 of the best people come to your farm and they pitch to you why they are awesome and uh, why they deserve the chance even to be uh, talking with you uh, to own your farm. We could get those people in a heartbeat uh, if, you, if that is the dream you have. Um, so this, I just think there's so many creative things to be out there and retiring farmers have so much power and so much influence um, and it can do such a win-win. This isn't about giving, again, this is not about charity, this is not giving out free kicks, this is about you realising the power of a business that you have that can great, generate even more wealth for your family uh, and, and also support your community and, and help that community to thrive. Now, am I ahead of time? I think that's fine because I want to do some questions anyway. So that's... Hopefully, uh, you guys were scribbling some awesome ideas there. We're going to come and do a reflection session after uh, Kim and Diana, but um, 
I will, after lunch, we'll talk about how community leaders and how um, bankers and advisors can be a part of this as well. Uh, and we're going to have a discussion panel uh, to unpack any questions you guys have. Uh, and then we're going to wrap up with uh, just some more thought-provoking things to, to get you guys thinking about what is holding you back from realising your, your dreams. But hopefully you've been out of this first session, write down what are the solutions that you need with your farming future. And now hopefully give you some ideas on how you can start implementing them. Uh, maybe getting to think maybe some of these ideas are a bit out there, but hopefully it's moved a little bit uh, to, to thinking a bit differently. Uh, and now Kim and, and Diana are going to just give you some of their experiences uh, with, with succession and supporting farmers to operate great businesses. So Kim's from Rabobank, and um, I think you'll need the whiteboard, is that right? Yeah. Kim, do you want me to move it around? Thank you. Hi, everyone. I think the last time I was actually in this room was maybe 1987, and I was listening to a... Sorry, a Kim, we might need to get oh. you, you can roam, though, Kim. I'm not really good with rhyming, I tend to... <laughs> <laughs> so, the last time I was in this room was 1987, listening to a presentation by Jim Maple Brown on Fibre Direct, I think. A lot's happened since then, since 1987. I think I was here with my uncle-in-law and a cousin and my husband, and our farm succession planning hadn't started. We've waited 30 years, and the wool story has improved somewhat this year, so um, it's exciting. And I suppose the important thing... <coughs> For me, in walking through, I suppose, what's been a over 30 year journey in a family farming business is that things do change, they change all the time. And uh, I've worked for 15 years for Rabobank as a succession planning facilitator. And um, in that 15 years that I've been doing that, we've seen the mining boom, we've seen commodity price falls, we've seen commodity price rises. We've seen rural land values go up. We've seen constant change. But what is exciting about now, or the last four years, I suppose, is that young farmers are getting excited again. And I think that's, that's the great part of this story. So succession planning at Rabobank, um, you've probably heard a lot of it before, but we have three facilitators that roam Australia facilitating family meetings. And our job is to actually drill down and find out what it is the retiring farmer wants, what it is that the entering farmer wants, what is it that the off-farm siblings want, how do we create opportunities out of this wealth that is the farming business. So that's, I suppose, quite succinctly what it is. Okay, so if you're a farmer today, based on averages and based on... Um, the ABS figures, you're going to be 55 years old, you would have seen in your lifetime half your neighbours leave the farm or very new and different neighbours come in if you're in the more sort of amenity valued, highly populated lands closer to Sydney, Melbourne, Perth or wherever. So half the neighbours gone. It's a 50% attrition rate or loss in, in that time since 1976. You're also likely to have your partner working off-farm, bringing in off-farm income. And in the last 15 years, that's been a significant part of what's been happening in farming families. Your children, if they come home, and I'm, I'm actually quite amazed, in the district that I come from, which is between Molong and Wellington in central west New South Wales, the number of children that have come back to family farms in the last five years has been 
amazing, enormous. I don't know if it's because the jobs at Cadia Mine closed down, but there is renewed hope and, and young farmers are coming back. But the interesting thing is they're coming back later. They're coming back a lot later. So whereas the average return rate back in 1976, the biggest spike in the stats was, you know, 17 to 25 years old, it's now, interestingly enough, the um, 35 to 40 year olds. And at the other end, it's the 55 to 65 year olds. They're not the young farmers, but they're the new entrants into the industries. So they're people that have made money in the city and they're interested in coming back to, or not coming back, investing in farms as a retirement or lifestyle choice. So big changes in demographics that are occurring in Australian agriculture. So children coming back later, you know, in their 30s and early 40s are gonna come back with very different sets of expectations and skills than did the 17-year-old Jackaroo. So, much more uncomfortable for the older generation, I'm sure, to have, um, and exciting though, don't forget that, it's exciting as well as uncomfortable, but change will happen, I would think, more rapidly with this next generation. The other interesting thing in the demographics, and I see it reflected in the, in the work that we do, is that um, farmers are staying longer on farms. So as a result, I suppose, of labour-saving technology, restructuring enterprises, intensification, farmers are, and, and this is why the stats are now so skewed to the 55-year-old average, the biggest lump is in that sort of 65 to 75 year old age group still staying active on farming businesses. I will say though, if you ring for a succession planning meeting and you ask the question, if you ask of me whether we take you on as a, a succession planning client and your older generation is in their 80s, you would actually take a couple of blinks back and, and think, well, maybe change won't happen rapidly. So. If change is going to happen and retirement is going to be a, a proactive thing, it needs to really happen before people hit their 80s. Okay. The critical success factors for succession planning, and this is reality, I'm, I'm afraid. This is the banking, the banker in me talking, the succession planner in me talking. It, you really have to tick a few boxes before succession planning within family farming can work. And the first thing is, and it's pretty easy to, to um, categorise these things. First thing is money. The numbers have to stack up. Regardless of how, how, how hopeful you are, how um, dedicated you are, how much you want to keep the farm in the family, the numbers have to stack up. You have to have a basic understanding of what can be generated from that farm, what other people want from that farm, who are stakeholders in that farm. You need to have an understanding of your profit and loss statements. You have to have an understanding of the cash that flows out of that farm. And when I talk about, when accountants will talk about tax planning and minimising your tax, consultants might talk about maximising profitability. But when it comes to succession planning, there has to be enough cash that flows out of that farm to support two generations if we're talking about succession. And it might be to support more than two families if you know more than one child is 
wishing to return. So if there isn't enough cash to come out of the operation, the 50% of farms that have gone in the last 50 years, that's where they come from, where there isn't enough cash to make it possible to keep that farm turning over. Or what happens is the older generation tighten their belt, the younger generation come home, and they actually the older generation reduce their, the quality of their life. The younger generation come home um, and take on off-farm work and supplement the cash that way. So there are ways to make it work if the farm itself doesn't generate the cash, but it requires a bit of creativity from off-farm sources to generate that income. You see, um, in, in take, taking on new ideas, um, I did a succession planning meeting with a family recently where the son came home and talked about intensifying or vertically integrating the farm that they were on um, and it involved bringing in you know, free-range chicken farming behind the father's um, and mother's beef farming operation. So same asset, but creatively thinking about how they might use that asset in a different way to generate the cash that's necessary to get a, um, a, you know, a decent standard of living. A lot of people that go back onto farms are also quite willing not to have equivalent incomes that they would have in cities because the lifestyle is definitely better. And no doubt we've seen in many generations over time the fact that people do make allowances or take on reduced incomes to, um, to, to go back to farming. But you can think creatively about the different ways that you can use the farming enterprise as long as the older generation is willing to um, let that happen or as long as that's what the expectations and goals of the older generation align with. So, um, first goal, is the, is the money going to be sufficient enough for two families, three families? Do we have to change things to allow enough money to flow out of that business? Do we use that farm rather than as an, a farming asset do we use it as an opportunity to create other opportunities for other people in our family? Because when we think about succession, we're also thinking often about succession of the family farm. We can also think about it in terms of succession or creation of opportunities for everybody, and it doesn't necessarily have to be around farming. So quite a lot of the work that we do actually is looking at, okay, what are the opportunities that people want or expect or that are possible that this farm can create. It's a case-by-case -case basis, and every family, family will look at that quite differently. Okay, the second one is inheritance. I've spelt that okay. I'm not very good at vertical spelling. Okay, so this is the thing that rears its head all the time when you're talking about succession planning. How am I going to treat my children fairly? How am I going to treat them equally if someone wants to return to the family farm? It's also about, as much as it is about relativities between siblings on family farms, it is also about place. I want to continue to farm in this place. I want my family to inherit this place. It's very important to me and it's something that doesn't happen in other businesses. So it's a factor that sits in the back of a lot of farming families that this farm is important, not because it creates business opportunities, but it 
is um, a place that, you know, my grandfather, my grandmother lived on, you know, people lived and died and built this place. So it's about fairness, it's about equality, it's about place, and it's about legacy as well. So this is what I created. I would like to also give people the opportunity to come back and carry on with what I have done. It confuses the issue when you're trying to deal with succession in you know fairly um, concrete, realistic terms when that is a factor, but it's really important that that is taken into consideration when families negotiate the next steps in succession. Place and legacy really are a critical decision maker in, in family farms. Um, and then there's the, there's the fairness issue. So there's a number of things that families do to um, find their way around it, fairness, to find their way around equality. I mean, most of you here, you know, the potential risks in not treating children fed equally on family farms. So we hear about the risks, but the best way I think of minimising risk is actually to get your children together and talk to them very early about what the opportunities are and what fairness might mean for them. So it will depend. I think Sam said that when he was eight, when he was eight, he was told that the farm was going to be sold. When you know that, when you have no expectations about what your inheritance is or what fearless or equality might look like. But if you've been told, one day, son, this will all be yours, or one day, grandson, this will be all be yours, or this has been in the family for five generations and it will continue, then your expectations are going to look very different. So again, you know, inheritance and people's expectations depend very much on, on things that are set very early in life. So you know what you've got to deal with when you know what people have been told when, when they're young. So in the family that I married into, it's now a sixth generation farming family. In every generation, the girls have been treated equally to the boys. And in every generation, the um, farmers have been treated equally to the non-farmers. So you know you've got no, no, no room to play at all in, in that scenario. That's the expectation and it's set in family history. For other families, when you're looking at um, inheritance, there might be, oh well, it's the, you I mean in history, it's the eldest son. Or it might be, it's the one that first comes home. In a lot of farming families, it is the children that haven't been able to find jobs elsewhere. And the farm becomes a default position and that child comes back to the family farm. There's all sorts of different ways families do it or think about it or expect it to happen. But it's a very important that um, you know what you're dealing with to start with. Then you can start creating solutions to those problems. So, in some families, it's about making payouts early and making small payouts early, creating opportunities for, I don't know, building homes, for building businesses that use far less um, cash, I suppose, than it takes to build a farm enterprise. So early, smaller payouts become uh, an issue for some families, if they want to keep the farm in the family, they're willing to take a small, smaller payout later on so that the farm can continue. Again, I won't know when I walk into any room where we're going to end up 
with this inheritance issue until we've actually explored what the father and mother want and what the children's expectations are. And then we you know, try and resolve a solution around that that um, involves quite a bit of negotiation. And the third one, and this is, this is a really fuzzy one, but it's a creator of huge succession planning <laughs> tensions, but it's about power. And it's about management succession and who takes control and when it happens. So I'll give you two examples um, of, I suppose, uh, creative, proactive um, farmers who retired from their farm and gave the reins to their children. The first is a, is a, a guy who runs an extensive agricultural business in Queensland. It involves uh, vegetable processing. And he does all that cold um, uh, salad mixes for woolies and things like that. And he's got six children and they've all been working in the business. He employs 800 um, employees across a number of farms. And he's been voted on and off the board a few times and they've set the terms and conditions of employment very strictly and the terms and conditions of directorships very, very strictly. And he decided a couple of years ago he needed to step back and hand over the reins, which he did. And I saw him um, a year afterwards and I said, how's it going? And he said, well, I had to buy a boat and I've had to, we're sailing around the world because I don't want to be anywhere near my children anymore. I don't want to be a hindrance to them because I keep seeing things that they're doing wrong and I'm interfering. So he, his wife got on a boat and they have sailed around Australia. And he said he's also had to undertake a year's grief counselling because it's, it's amazing. He, he's a really um, proactive, dynamic guy. He said the pain of losing control in that farm was absolutely horrendous. At the Cotton Conference last year, we got um, a couple of farmers from Tasmania to get up and talk about their story. And the father got up and he told his story. And the son got up and told his story. And they had been very creative. They talked about how they were paying out the off-farm siblings, the terms and conditions around that. The son had gone back and taken on an enterprise and was successful at that. Now he was um, buying the farm in stages with vendor finance at concessional rates from his father. And his father was asking for a wage and helping during peak times. It all sounded, you know, absolutely fantastic. But his wife came up to me afterwards and said, you wouldn't believe the grief that has gone just, even though he's still there, he's still involved. The stepping back and walking out of decision-making control was really difficult. But you have to be honest about that. Some families find it easier than others. It will really depend on your personality type, how you em embark upon that and embrace that. Um, my 32-year-old son has just come back to the family farm and I would think my husband would be the least power-freaky person or control freak you'd ever come across. And my son is probably very much the same. But you can see the tension at times, you know, about really is about who knows the most and therefore who gets to make the decision because of who knows the most. So talking that through is important, but knowing that that it will always be an issue is important. The flip side of that is also when children do come home to the family farm and they've been there for 20 or 30 years 
And the expectation is that one day they will be able to make decisions. And those decisions that count are, you know, do we change enterprises? Do we intensify? Do we invest in creating other opportunities? Do we buy the next door neighbours? Do we pay debt? All of those sort of issues. And the father says one day, when I, in 10 years time, you know, or I'll semi-retire but come back and help you. And you have all of these different issues that are just actually stalling techniques that don't actually allow things to happen over time. So being honest about that, um, it, it's not an easy thing to be honest because you don't know what your triggers are, but, but the power issue is a, is a big, I suppose um, being honest and exploring it um, within the family, if you do that, it will lead to a much more successful succession over time. We run um, workshops that um, try and coach families in how to work together and communication techniques around that. And that really is the critical factor in management succession. It's in collaborative decision making and learning how to teach the young generation, the younger generation about how you make decisions and spending the time to sit down and communicate in a formal way about how that learning should take place. So I think, I think in my experience, you know, I've, run around 350 meetings for Rabobank now, it comes down to th those are the three major factors that you have to consider in, in um, succession. So, what makes that all work? The first step, I suppose, in achieving this, and as Sam said, <coughs> is knowing what you want. What does that mean, knowing what you want? It really is about clarifying expectations. Now, I would probably, when I first started this job, my you know my expertise was in um, business planning. I'd done a masters of economics. I thought I knew what should happen. I, you know, it's easy. Here's a solution. You can't actually go into farming families and think that you can create a solution for a farming family. Those solutions are already in their head. You just have to find a way of unlocking them and then to negotiate agreements around that. But with expectations. Eighty percent of that is set in concrete in your head between you turn, before you turn fourteen. So, as advisors, if you think you can go in and change the path of a farming family, and shape them and make them see sense about what is the pragmatic, realistic outcome, you've only got a twenty percent chance. And they're hearing other things from other people as well. So, there's a lot of noise there. So, it's the eighty percent you've got to work with. So, we try and work with that eighty percent and unlock it. As a facilitator, we ask questions, we keep asking questions. I saw you all heard of the five whys and someone gives you an answer, you just keep asking why until you find out exactly what it is that they're actually meaning. That's not because people aren't being honest, that's just because you don't actually know what it is that sits in there or, or how it's got there. So the whys. The whys are around these three things. So if you go back to a farm, what do you need? Do you need market-based wages? If you go back to a farm, do you need less than a market-based wage but to build equity over time? What are you comfortable with? Is it having cash now or is it, is it building wealth over time? 
If you come back to a farm, if you're the younger generation now, you probably value time, or time has a money value. So you have to also talk about what time means to you. What does that mean in terms of weekends off, time to play sport, time with your family? You know, what are those crucial factors in your expectations around money and time? When you come back to the farm, so in the older generation, when I came back to the farm, it was take as little as you can now because then we'll be paying off debt. Then we'll be creating wealth. But if you're only doing that for the sake of the greater family, then you're not necessarily, you know, getting rewards for your effort. So talking about the expectations around when you go back, what do you need to feel comfortable within this family system on a, on a farm? <coughs> And for very many, you know, families, they create different solutions to these issues. So it might be, I'm working with a family at the moment. The son has created in this business, um, tripled the size of the business over time. He's been paid a market-based wage, a very good manager's wage. His sisters off-farm believe that he's been paid well and therefore has no claim on that asset other than the fact that you know he will be an equal shareholder with them in that business. Now he's actually done a number of things. He's given what he knows. He's also given what he does and a family member will create a lot more wealth for you Overall, you know, in 99% of cases, a family member will be more accountable, will be more um, responsible, will put in the extra time than someone that you employ off-farm. So they, as an equity partner, supposedly, will be putting in a lot more time, what you know, what you do. So what he does, works long hours, builds the business, Oil has has increased the size of the business and then what he builds so if the business gets bigger how do you um, uh, distribute shares so expectations around this through all of those levels not many farming families have discussions it's usually okay come home Station hands wage, ringers wage, whatever. Let's not look at what you're actually building. So for some families, we look at how those things translate into equity arrangements within the family so that the inheritance issues don't necessarily become a stumbling block. Okay, so expectations around career, expectations around what mum and dad need for their retirement. One family said to me all they needed was a case of beer and a paper and that would all they would need in their retirement. Other families have said an aeroplane, a boat, uh, you know, 200 acres of, outside of Perth, $200,000 drawings a year, you know, so there's a whole range in there. Doesn't matter, there's no right or wrong around anything there. It is documenting what those expectations are and looking at them, you know, specifically what people need so that the younger generation know what they're working with. Um, documenting expectations around housing off and on farm as well. 
form part of that. So inheritance, I've spoken about that in terms of expectations being created by the time you're 14 and power, I've also spoken about. The um, crucial factor in all of this for families trying to create opportunities for their children on farm is to actually sit down and start working through those things. So Sam talked about writing it down. Documenting becomes a crucial factor in, in farming families. But having said that, it's not easy to do that by yourself. It's not easy to do it without someone to prod and push and question and get you to explore what it is that you actually need. And then I suppose be brave enough at times to say it because the last thing you want is to invite children to come back to family farms and for them to for there to no longer be, to be a career at the end of that process. Um, so with regard to what's going to happen in the future, what opportunities there are, um, just so that you have some, I suppose, perspective around all of this because Succession is complex. I mean, it's extraordinarily complex. And don't think it's not. I mean, that's the, the worst of it. You think, one day it'll sort itself out. I'll write in my will how it's going to happen. I'll go and visit my accountant and we'll organise these structures to minimise tax. We'll make sure we don't incur any capital gains tax on the way through. That None of that is actually all that important in succession planning. It is, at, well, it is important, but it's at the back end. It's not at the front end of succession planning. What you need to do is work out, uh, I suppose, the, in the legal term is a paramount agreement, an agreement that says, we as a family, this is what we want to achieve. We as a family, this is what opportunities this farm presents us. This is how we as a family think about and understand the money, the cash, the structures, the assets, the liabilities. This is how we as a family view fairness and this is how we will approach our decision making in the future. So documenting it, having a facilitator to do that, wherever that facilitator might come from is an important part of that process. Getting someone in from outside who in no way is tied to you as the older generation or you as the younger generation. Someone whose futures aren't necessarily entwined in them being nice to you, but in terms of them being able to prod and probe and ask so that you have a, a good document in, in writing to go forward. Okay, thanks. I think I've probably used up all of my time and some. Thank you. Thank you very, very much. Um, I think in summary, it, it is about conversations, isn't it? Um, getting people talking about what can be a pretty difficult topic. But um, I think you've got a fascinating job. I'd love to, to go around with you, Kim, um, to see all those farms. Uh, some uh, amazing and probably intense discussions, no doubt. Uh, now, we have Diana Jacobson. So I've known Diana for a, a year or so, and I love hearing all Diana's stories around um, how she goes in and supports uh, farm businesses. And Diana's got a bit of a unique role in that um, 
she can uh, understand all different aspects of, of farming operations and help farmers to understand what the accountant's saying, what their lawyer's saying, what the bank is saying, what the financial advisor's saying, and trying to make sense from a whole business point of view. And we thought it'd be interesting to get Diana up here just to give her some of her reflections uh, of working with farmers all over Australia, um, trying to wrangle those different areas of business together. So, Diana, thank you. Thanks, Sam. Thanks, everyone. Okay. Um, all right. Important things first. Down in Aubrey Wodonga, we had around an inch of rain. Tractors should be green, cattle should be red, and footy should be Aussie rules. Okay, just you know, get that important stuff done. My name's Diana Jacobson, and my business is called Shine at Business. And my story is a little bit like Sam's in that I grew up at Pleasant Hills, which is between Henty and Lockhart, between Aubrey and Wagga, southern New South Wales. Um, I'm deliriously happy to have met someone here today that even knows where that is, and appreciate the opportunity, the invitation to come and speak with you today. So I grew up in a family farming partnership, and growing up I saw people leaving farms. And it wasn't until I was older that I came to the realisation that often they didn't choose to leave. There were either finance or family that caused them to leave. And I was passionate about these people. We were reasonably isolated at that point in time and you know they were, they were like your extended family. And I thought there's got to be a way to help these people. So after school I went into accounting. I wanted to be you know a farm advisor. So I did accounting and you know I spent a lot of time talking to intergenerational you know farmers, parents, children, in-laws. And then I worked out, it's not about the numbers on the page, it's about the people. And it's about the place and the property, as Kim said. And you're passionate about that plot of land and, and that heritage and that legacy. And so having those conversations, I thought I need to be more equipped. So I went and did a whole heap of more learning over a number of years and I've done what I do in various roles for almost 30 years now. So I've added a lot of financial planning, counselling, psychology, legal, a whole heap of stuff to have the conversations with the people but mainly to be able to go in and tie it together in a practical, hands-on sense. So I was the one that wanted to stay home on the farm, um, but as uh, it was illustrated earlier, you know, you've got to be able to buy in, and the prices were going up and up and up, and you know, and that just became prohibitive. So like Sam, I thought, okay, my destiny is not to be on the farm, but it's to do something that supports a, a bigger picture. Um, so, I also have lots of stuff. I just wanted to um, connect back to Howard's comments. So I have a property now with the world's loveliest, biggest shed because coming from family farm on both sides, I was the one that wanted to keep all the rabbit traps and all that stuff. Um, so it has a barbecue, a bar, a beer garden, and a fire bucket, all the important things that a shed should have. But I now travel around Australia and work with people on all of these things. And I think it's really important that we have some cohesion. So. Let me explain that a little bit more. So succession planning is something that, um, and I think the way Kim explained that all is fantastic, and, and that's um, obviously a great service that you're offering, Kim, and it's great to see that that support is out there. Because what I see, traditional model is that we go to our accountants, we go to the solicitors, we talk to our bank managers, and they might know the numbers on the page, but they don't know us, they don't know our heritage, they don't know our property, they don't know our plans, they don't know our family. 
So we tend to get advice from our accountant and they, um, so respectfully to all these people, and I've got most of these qualifications, so no disrespect intended with any of these roles, accountants tend to look back. What have you done in the last year? What's the historical figures? Where does that get us today? We might have a financial planner who looks after future wealth planning. So they'll look after superannuation insurances and maybe retirement planning, Centrelink, stuff like that. We may or may not these days have a bank manager or a mortgage broker, and they'll be looking at things like equity and serviceability and where we put our debt. We've probably still got a solicitor. We might have an insurance agent and in-laws are often the other one that's um, you know quite influential for better or for worse there. But then there's a person in the middle who's getting advice from all these different directions and that's great, they're all well meant, but these people tell you that part, these people tell you that part and so on. And the person in the middle is going, I just want to grow wheat, I just want to raise cattle, I just want to do whatever. And there's so much compliance and bureaucracy and all the stuff that goes with that. So I have reinvented myself and my role many times over the years to work here with this person in integrating that into a, a practical, hands-on way of running your business, as well as obviously doing what you do, but having all the compliance stuff covered. So I did think about you know, a case study, but you know, it's, it's how long's a piece of string. There's so much in this. Things like, and this is where I have my magic wand. So um, I've done this work for a long time and I hand out magic wands when I work with people, which is a bit, you know, frivolous, but it's also about saying, what result do you want? What picture would you like us to conjure up? And then we can sort out the pieces that need to go in that, work with the advisors that we need, find the people in our team that can get us to that result. So things like succession planning, exit strategy, pensions, aged care, Centrelink, retirement, the tax structures that we need to grow and exit, transitional, capital gains tax, bearing those things in mind. Along the way, the business development, collaborations, whether we use superannuation funds, leasing, debt, the way we structure our, our um, borrowings is a whole minefield in itself. Subdividing property and the stamp duty connotations of transitional um, titles of farm assets, uh, tax compliance work, ATO, ASIC, bookkeeping, cash management and money management, legal and estate planning considerations, insurances. So all of those things, and Aidan referred to the word mentoring, and, and that's uh, a role that I often step into with these, and I think that's really important, and obviously to have other mentors within your industry and your community. So mentoring and masterminding, those um, suggestions that Sam made about you know building a, a community to have those discussions. About balancing along the way, managing debt, building wealth, and living, and as Kim said, that's changed over the years with, years ago it was pay off debt, pay off debt, pay off debt. But often we kind of forgot to live along the way. And obviously when interest rates were up in the 20%, then you know that was our priority. That's changed now and it's a matter of just constantly you know, monitoring that and rebalancing that. And the other thing I just wanted to touch on really quickly is the, the mental health issue. There's so much mental health um, 
advocacy around rural areas and I think that that's important. Um, obviously the, the suicide things and the ill health and all the things that come from that. But in my experience, I see that largely related to stress and worry and often that's around financial anxiety. So um, it, it's a slight aside, but I really want to suggest that you go and find the guidance that you need or encourage other people to, to get these things under control. Respectfully, your accountant probably can't tell you all this stuff, but they might be able to steer you to other people and build that as part of a team because that's the biggest cause of the of the stress and anxiety and then the family problems and all the things that stem from that. And that all works together in that picture. So I really encourage you to you know get out that proverbial magic wand. Don't worry about all the steps of how you going to, how you are going to do this, but just say how do I want my end picture to be, and then come back to today and start building the team that can guide you through to that end picture. And you know, if you don't know who that is, just ask one question of one person, and, and you know, that will keep on rolling along. So I'm going to be here for the day. Uh, obviously, money is quite personal, and, and your own finances. So I've got some information there that you can just take, and I've also got a list. That I'm happy for you to jot down your name and number, and we can organise a, a phone chat at a later stage. There's no cost or no strings attached to that but just so that you can ask me your own personal questions um, if, if that's more appropriate than in today's forum. But thank you for inviting me along today. Um, I'm really excited about the Cultivate Farms journey and as Sam said, we've been uh, discussing that for the last 12 months or so and really keen to, to get in and, and um, get helping people. Thank you. Thanks, Diana, and I realise I didn't have this behind your head, so we can just look at that for a second. Diana. Um, we are nearly at lunch. Uh, thank you to Kim and Diana. Um, the point of this section right now, five minutes, we're going to do another sit and think, because um, we just believe it's so powerful. We've heard from Kim about succession, Diana around how you make sense of all the advice that's coming to you, um, whether you're an aspiring farmer or whether you're a retiring farmer. Maybe if you're an aspiring farmer, have you got those connections? So these are the things we want you to think about. The ideas I put up um, earlier uh, would like you to sit and reflect. Uh, think about three. You probably get 20, but let's aim for three um, steps you could take to help meet your, your farming goals. Are there people you need to connect with? Are there uh, 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 websites you need to start visiting? Are there um, discussions you need to have? Uh, what are some of the practical things that you uh, after today uh, should be sitting down and, and making happen. So I just want to encourage you, five minutes again, we're not going to let you have lunch unless we see people writing. Uh, I encourage you just to, to write it. We do think it's so powerful just sitting in and writing and, and having your own reflection. So uh, I'll let you to it. Thanks for your attention. We know there are thousands of other things you could be doing or other podcasts you could be listening to, but you've chosen to listen to us. We appreciate your time so much. Please reach out uh, as we're happy to work through your farm ownership pathway with you. Let's get you farming.